0: Chapter Forty Seven of Middlemarch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Red Abras. Middlemarch by George Eliot. Chapter Forty Seven. Was never true love loved in vain? For truest love is highest gain. No art can make it, it must spring, Where elements are fostering. So in heaven's spot an hour, Springs the little native flower, Downward root and upward eye, Shapen by the earth and sky. It happened to be on a Saturday evening That Will Ladislaw had that little discussion with Lydgate. Its effect when he went to his own rooms was to make him sit up half the night thinking over again, under a new irritation, all that he had before thought of his having settled in Middlemarch and harnessed himself with mr Brooke. Hesitations before he had taken the step had since turned into susceptibility to every hint that he would have been wiser not to take it, and hence came his heat towards Lydgate, a heat which, still kept him restless. Was he not making a fool of himself? And at a time when he was more than ever conscious of being something better than a fool? And for what end? Well, for no definite end. True, he had dreamy visions of possibilities. There is no human being who, having both passions and thoughts, does not think in consequence of his passions, does not find images rising in his mind, which soothe the passion with hope or sting it with dread but this which happens to us all happens to some with a wide difference and will was not one of those whose wit keeps the roadway he had his by-paths where there were little choice of his own choosing such as gentlemen cantering on the high road might have thought rather idiotic the way in which he made a sort of happiness for himself out of his feeling for dorothea was an example of this it may seem strange but it is the fact that the ordinary vulgar visions of which mr Casaubon suspected him namely that dorothea might become a widow and that the interest he had established in her mind might turn into acceptance of him as a husband had no tempting arresting power over him he did not live in the scenery of such an event and follow it out as we all do with that imagined otherwise which is our practical heaven it was not only that he was unwilling to entertain thoughts which could be accused of baseness and was already uneasy in the sense that he had to justify himself from the charge of ingratitude. The latent consciousness of many other barriers between himself and Dorothea, besides the existence of her husband, had helped to turn away his imagination from speculating on what might befall Mr. Casaubon. and there were yet other reasons. Will, we know, could not bear the thought of any flaw appearing in his crystal, he was at once exasperated and delighted by the calm freedom with which dorothea looked at him and spoke to him and there was something so exquisite in thinking of her just as she was that he could not long for a change which must somehow change her do we not shun the street version of a fine melody or shrink from the news that the rarity some bit of chiselling or engraving perhaps which we have dwelt on even with the exultation in the trouble it has cost us to snatch glimpses of it is really not an uncommon thing and may be obtained as an everyday possession our good depends on the quality and breadth of our emotion and to will A creature who cared little for what are called the solid things of life, and greatly for its subtler influences, to have within him such a feeling as he had towards Dorothea, was like the inheritance of a fortune. What others might have called the futility of his passion, made an additional delight for his imagination. He was conscious of a generous movement, and of verifying in his own experience that higher love poetry which had charmed his fancy. Dorothea, he said to himself, was forever enthroned in his soul. No other woman could sit higher than her footstool. And if he could have written out in immortal syllables the effect she wrought within him, he might have boasted after the example of old Drayton, that Queen's hereafter might be glad to live upon the arms of her superfluous praise. But this result was questionable. And what else could he do for Dorothea? What was his devotion worth to her? It was impossible to tell. He would not go out of her reach. He saw no creature among her friends to whom he could believe that she spoke with the same simple confidence as to him. She had once said that she would like him to stay, and stay he would, whatever fire-breathing dragons might hiss around her. This had always been the conclusion of Will's hesitations, but he was not without contradictoriness and rebellion even towards his own resolve. He had often got irritated as he was on this particular night by some outside demonstration that his public exertions with Mr. Brooke as a chief could not seem as heroic as he would like them to be and this was always associated with the other ground of irritation that notwithstanding his sacrifice of dignity for dorothea's sake he could hardly ever see her whereupon not being able to contradict these unpleasant facts he contradicted his own strongest bias and said i am a fool Nevertheless, since the inward debate necessarily turned on Dorothea, he ended, as he had done before, only by getting a livelier sense of what her presence would be to him, and suddenly reflecting that the morrow would be Sunday. He determined to go to Lowick Church and see her. He slept upon that idea, but when he was dressing in the rational morning light, objection said. That will be a virtual defiance of Mr. Cosobon's prohibition to visit Lowick, and Dorothea will be displaced. "'Nonsense!' argued inclination. "'It would be too monstrous for him to hinder me from going out to a pretty country church on a spring morning, and Dorothea will be glad. "'It will be clear to Mr. Cosobon that you have come either to annoy him or to see Dorothea. "'It is not true that I go to annoy him, and why should I not go to see Dorothea?' is he to have everything to himself and be always comfortable let him smart a little as other people are obliged to do i have always liked the quaintness of the church and congregation besides i know the tuckers i shall go into their pew having silenced objection by force of unreason will walked to lowick as if he had been on the way to paradise crossing halsell common and skirting the wood where the sunlight fell broadly under the building-pose bringing out the beauties of moss and lichen and fresh green growths piercing the brown everything seemed to know that it was sunday and to approve of his going to Lowick church Will easily felt happy when nothing crossed his humour, and by this time the thought of vexing Mr. Casaubon had become rather amusing to him, making his face break into its merry smile, pleasant to see as the breaking of sunshine on the water, though the occasion was not exemplary. But most of us are apt to settle within ourselves that the man who blocks our way is odious, and not to mind causing him a little of the disgust which his personality excites in ourselves. Will went along with a small book under his arm, and a hand in each side pocket, never reading but chanting a little, as he made scenes of what would happen in church and coming out. He was experimenting in tunes to suit some words of his own, sometimes trying a ready-made melody, sometimes improvising. The words were not exactly a hymn, but they certainly fitted his Sunday experience. O oh me, O oh me, what frugal cheer, my love doth feed upon, A touch array that is not here, a shadow that is gone, A dream of breath that might be near, an inly echoed tone, The thought that one may think me dear, the place where one was known, The tremor of a banished fear, an ill that was not done, O oh me, O oh me, what frugal cheer, my love doth feed upon, Sometimes when he took off his hat, shaking his head backward, and showing his delicate throat as he sang, he looked like an incarnation of the spring whose spirit filled the air, a bright creature, abundant in uncertain promises. The bells were still ringing when he got to Lowick, and he went into the curate's pew before anyone else arrived there, but he was still left alone in it when the congregation had assembled. The curate's pew was opposite the rector's at the entrance of the small chancel, and Will had time to fear that Dorothea might not come, while he looked round at the group of rural faces which made the congregation from year to year, within the whitewashed walls and dark old pews, hardly with more change than we see in the boughs of a tree, which breaks here and there with age, but yet has young shoots. Mr. Rick's frog-face was something alien and uncountable but notwithstanding this shock to the order of things there were still the whales and the rural stock of the powderels in their pews side by side brother samuel's cheek had the same purple round as ever and the three generations of decent cottagers came as of old with a sense of duty to their betters generally. The smaller children regarding Mr. Kosobon, who wore the black gown and mounted to the highest box, as probably the chief of all betters, and the one most awful if offended. Even in 1831, Lowick was at peace, not more agitated by reform than by the solemn tenor of the Sunday sermon the congregation had been used to seeing will at church in former days and no one took much note of him except the choir who expected him to take a figure in the singing dorothea did at last appear on this quaint background walking up the short aisle in her white beaver bonnet and grey cloak the same she had worn in the vatican her face being from her entrance towards the chancel Even her short-sighted eyes soon discerned Will, but there was no outward show of her feeling except a slight paleness and a grave bow as she passed him. To his own surprise, Will felt suddenly uncomfortable, and dared not look at her after they had bowed to each other. Two minutes later, when Mr. Cosmon came out of the vestry, and entering the pew seated himself in the face of Dorothea, Will felt his paralysis more complete. He could look nowhere except at the choir in the little gallery over the vestry door. Dorothea was perhaps pained, and he had made a wretched blunder. It was no longer amusing to vex Mr. Casaubon, who had the advantage probably of watching him and seeing that he dared not turn his head. Why had he not imagined this beforehand? But he could not expect that he should sit in that square pew alone unrelieved by any tucker's who had apparently departed from lowick altogether for a new clergyman was in the desk still he called himself stupid now for not foreseeing that it would be impossible for him to look towards Dorothea, nay that she might feel his coming and impertinence there was no delivering himself from his cage however and will found his places and looked at his book as if he had been a schoolmistress feeling that the morning service had never been so immeasurably long before, that he was utterly ridiculous, out of temper, and miserable. This was what a man got by worshipping the sight of a woman? The clerk observed with surprise that Mr. Ladislaw did not join in the tune of Hanover, and reflected that he might have a cold. Mr. Cossabon did not preach that morning, and there was no change in Will's situation until the blessing had been pronounced and everyone rose. It was the fashion at Lowick for the betters to go out first. With a sudden determination to break the spell that was upon him, Will looked straight at Mr. Cossabon. But that gentleman's eyes were on the button of the pew door which he opened, allowing Dorothea to pass and following her immediately without raising his eyelids. Will's glance had caught Dorothea's as she turned out of the pew, and again she bowed, but this time with a look of agitation, as if she were repressing tears. Will walked out after them, but they went on towards the little gate, leading out of the churchyard into the shrubbery, never looking round. It was impossible for him to follow them, and he could only walk back sadly at midday, along the same road which he had trodden hopefully in the morning. The lights were all changed for him, both without and within. End of chapter 47 Recording by Red Abras, February 2008